Welcome to the latest edition of Trojans Wired, an in-house production of the website Trojans Wire, part of the College Wire Network. It's another Monday. It's another coaching carousel bombshell. It's you know now it might have been expected as of Friday night, continuing over the weekend, but it's still a bombshell development. Mario Cristobal leaving Oregon for Miami. A week ago it was Lincoln Riley coming to USC along with Brian Kelly going to LSU, and now Cristobal to Miami. Very explosive development involving a foremost competitor for USC at the top of the Pac-12. And, you know, my producer, Ian Hest, he's been with me all season long, and we've been talking about this ever since Manny Diaz went on the hot seat in mid-September. Like, we could see this as a possibility. We didn't necessarily see it as a likelihood but we saw it as a possibility. And the one thing that Ian was always telling me was that the, you know, the, the, the real question was, would Miami make the commitment? Would Miami make the investment in its football program, in landing Mario Cristobal? And that, and that very clearly happened. So uh, I'm joined by Ian, my producer. I'm also joined by Donald Smalley. You can find him at Donald underscore Smalley. Part of the great team at Ducks Wire, which has been crushing uh, the coverage of this coaching carousel plot twist with Mario Cristobal. Ducks underscore wire on Twitter, ducswire.usatoday.com. Don's been doing a great job along with site editor Zachary Neal, whom we've had on this show a few times. Uh, so we get the Miami perspective from Ian. We get the Oregon perspective from Don Smalley. I'm going to be the moderator today, not so much... Uh, Kind of a, a, a co-host, uh, you know, a- answering questions and kind of a back and forth. I'm going to be directing this conversation between, uh, you know, people who follow Miami and Oregon very closely. So I think the first place uh, to begin this debate, and we'll branch into the various other obvious topics, but the, for the starting point is the process. So, you know, Miami's been roasted on Twitter for how all of this went down. And I think that criticism... You know, there are some pinches of legitimacy around the edges, but fundamentally, you know, Mario Cristobal uh, had the chance to make this process go more smoothly, much more than Miami did. Miami was, you know, expecting him to sign and Cristobal dithered and and delayed and uh, hemmed and hawed. And, you know, this could have been all been wrapped up a lot sooner. Uh, it was weird that Mario Cristobal made, continued to make Oregon recruiting trips over the weekend, that was kind of odd. If he already had his mind made up to go to Miami and if he had already, uh, as reported by various outlets, um, had been working on the finer details of a contract, you know, that Miami insiders were saying, hey, you know, this is likely to get done. But like, you know, it already seemed as though the ball had been advanced far down the field. So Miami has been criticized for its process. We'll get into the Oregon side of this process first, but I think we start with Ian and just your your analysis of Miami's process and the the excessive uh, and misguided nature of the criticism that's been coming Miami's way over the past 48 hours. I mean, I don't think that Miami, from, from the Miami aspect of this, that anybody minds that at all. I actually think that it's been rather enjoyable. Um, I, like, they don't mind being the villains. And I, some of it is, like, really misguided, we talked about this on Saturday. Like everybody saw this coming and the, and there was like this Tuesday thing that was set. I don't know where that came from. 
I don't know who thought that that was like a, a narrative that we were going to set, but it was set and you, you do everything from there. Um, I, I don't think that it was ever accurate. I don't think that it, it was ever uh, something that, that made sense. But um, yeah, Mar- Mario was the guy since late last week. It, th- this was a decision that was actually a couple of weeks that, that we talked about off air. This was actually a couple of weeks in the making. So, so Don, your reaction to Miami's process. We'll get into the Oregon process, but just your reaction to how Miami's process went down and how you s- saw all of this play out. Well, it, se- it seems like everyone was aware of what was going on, except for uh, the Oregon athletic director for some reason, and that's that's a huge problem. Um, it, it seems like he wasn't aware of, of something going on until until you know, just a few days ago. And, you know, with all the reports, I just don't understand how that can be. Um, uh, he was, I mean, I, I heard a report that Miami first reached out to, to Mario three weeks ago, and that would have been right before the first Utah game. And if that's true, I just don't understand how, how Rob Mullins allowed that to happen. And, and, you know, Miami did reach out without contacting the athletic director first which is you know which was which is what you're supposed to do and i don't know it just seems like he got blindsided i can i jump in on that yeah you guys can go at it yeah that's like really shocking to me because yeah i mean you're entirely correct on right like I, i mean i got word of this happening right after and i shared this with you matt that that what happened on this when it all started was when Kirk Herbstreit went on college game day and talked about how Julio Frank did not understand how important the University of Miami job was in terms of, of football. And so once that happened, all of the sudden, the, the, the president of the university was faced with this decision of, of you know coming down from Harvard where he did and needing to use that that University of Miami health system money that has been blown out of proportion in in weird ways. That's a that's a different conversation that we don't need to have right now. But how as soon as that happened, all of this started churning. So I, I'm a, I'm a little perplexed as to how Oregon got blindsided here. All right, l- l- point of, points of clarification here. So Kirk Herbstreit made this comment about Miami President Julio Frank this past Saturday on college game day is that correct or was it a previous college game day no it was like four or five weeks ago that that he was talking about it yeah so that would be before the first oregon utah game which was on uh you know in in mid-november um the the uh second saturday before thanksgiving it would have been it would have it was it was around early November, late October. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't well, think that that any of this came out of left field like the Oregon crowd or the even the national crowd is making it out to be. Yeah. So so it's so that the Herb Street's comments spurred something. Now, the other thing is uh, in, in terms of processing all of this. 
like Don, John Wilner of the San Jose Mercury News, he thinks that that first loss to Utah, not the Pac-12 championship game, but the Oregon-Utah game in Salt Lake City, that that really was a game that changed Mario Cristobal's mindset. I've also seen a thread uh, on Monday that um, after the UCLA game, yes. uh, which which Oregon narrowly won, um, you know, uh, that, you know, and, and, you know, there was the booing incident against Cal yes. earlier this that, season. That's what you started know? it. So that, okay. Yeah. I wanted to get your sense of if, if this Mario's crystal ball's thought process went along a different direction. Yeah. The, uh, the booing incident really hit Mario the wrong way, which, you know, I don't blame it. It should have, I mean, you never want to boo your own players. Um, but that really bothered him. To, be, to the point um, to the fact that he actually um, sort of talked to the Oregon fan base and and told them to knock it off. Um, but I think that was the first time that he was he was soured on things. And so and, and then everything snowballed. I just again I just go back to the athletic director. Not I mean I mean I, mean, I could be wrong. I mean maybe he just maybe he knew all, he knew this all along, but. If he did, how do you let Mario continue to coach the rest of the season? And how do you even yesterday they had Mario represent the university in the Alamo Bowl press conference, accepting the bid? How do you let that happen? Uh, yeah, I mean it's it's a great question because you know this. I mentioned earlier that he went on a recruiting trip. Yeah, you know, like he started his recruiting trip. He made a few visits. Then the recruiting trip was cut short. Like, how does that recruiting trip ever start in the first place? So, you know, in terms of how we evaluate Rob Mullins, the Oregon athletic director that you're referring to, Don, you know, he went down this road before where a coach went to one of the mm -hmm. big three programs in Ian State my, in Florida. You know, Willie Taggart left Oregon to go to Florida State. So, like, this, this is not the first time. This has happened. What What do you think Rob Mullins has failed to account for by hiring coaches, you know, who aren't Oregon insiders, who aren't inside the family? And, 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 it, and it bears noting, Don, you know, you know this, but I'm going to share this with our USC audience and people, you know, from Miami and, and elsewhere who are also interested in listening to this podcast. You know, Oregon was the program with tremendous internal continuity and stability. For a long time, Rich Brooks yeah. was there nearly 20 years. Mike Bellotti was there for a similarly long period of time. Assistants were in place for decades. Like yeah. Oregon, what used to be the place where coaching staffs just stayed intact as a brotherhood for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And so now we have this period of marked uh, instability. You know, so where's Rob Mullen's place in all of this? What do you think he's failed to account for? Well, it all started when he and when he decided to fire Mark Helfrich, and then he, and then after that he he went outside of like it's outside the family, um, and hired Willie Taggart, and that and then that was the hiring of Willie Taggart was just one of the worst decisions ever, <laughs> as it turns out. But I don't blame him for hiring Mario after that. The, all the all those players wanted Mario as the head coach. Mario said all the right things. He's done all the right things since he's been the head coach of Oregon. I don't blame him for that hire. 
I think Ron Mullins might be a little naive in thinking that other universities will do it the right way as Oregon likes to do. And I think that's why he was blindsided. He just assumed that Miami would do things the right way and contact him first and and whatnot. But, you know. Let's, 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 okay. Go ahead. I say it's just, it's just one of those things where. Well, I, like, I want to talk to that point, Don, to you. Sure. It, is like, I, I, I guess I was like a little bit shocked at how much of a surprise it came nationally, but more specifically from an Oregon standpoint. Like, I didn't think that that was that this was going to be so surprising. I there there were rumors of this happening like every step of the way. And it kept right. happening again and again and again. I, I mentioned the Kirk Herbstreit thing, and I mention it because, like, that was what got everybody. Miami has like this massive board of trustees issue that they have to always deal with with being a small private school. It's like a weird mm-hmm. balance that they have to deal with. But th- that was the cataclyst of of, of what happened. That was all over YouTube like a month ago. And so I, I guess I'm like really surprised at how blindsided Oregon feels like they were. I feel like there were a bunch of, of cornerstone steps that we walked down this path to get here. Right. I, I don't think blindsided is the right word. I think they're, uh, they were blindsided by the Willie, by the Willie Taggart thing. Um, I think, I think they're just, just surprised that Mario would leave, especially after they offered him a, you know, a new 10 year contract worth $85 million that he obviously he turned down to, and to go to Miami. I think they're surprised and disappointed about it with his decision. But Rob Mullen said that he was in the players only meeting with Mario and wished him all the luck and thanked him for his services and all that. So, so Ian, you know, you, you've said earlier that, you know, the stars had not aligned. There had not been the convergence point, uh, a time when Miami's interests and Mario Cristobal's interests were aligned. He was always the one who got away because just the circumstances were never favorable. So, like, you know, there were so many do- things that kind of created this domino effect. You mentioned the Kirk Herbstreet thing. Also, the Lincoln Riley hire by USC. I mean, it was something of a motivating factor. I mean, it certainly caught the attention of a lot of people in the room. Uh, there are other things that we can also piece together. So talk about how the circumstances finally aligned so that the one who got away finally came home when mama called. Yeah, I, I, I said this last night. I, I think that this was a a, a marriage of like, hey, if we're not married by the time that we're 40, we're going to do this. Like, I, I really just think that that's what wound up happening. And so much of this has been centered around money. And and Don, you just pointed to it. I don't think that right. there's a dollar figure that would have changed any of this. Uh, I, I think that, you know, combined with the comments that were made, combined with how the board of trustees saw that after the comments were made they were upset about it combined with trying to get him so many times combined with everything that happened with manny especially around unc 
combined with not being expected to win the Coastal and not doing it and Pitt wind up winning the ACC, like all of this thing aligned in a very specific way where Miami just said, hey, it's about time we take control of this thing. Because Miami's always said, if we have costs low, we're going to get the ACC money. So we just have a, like a normal profit margin. They made a decision to buy into the game simply by doing this. And, and th- that was never a thing that they were ever going to do. And so I don't think that whatever that offer was to Mario at Oregon, I don't think that it even mattered at that point. Like this was... He he this is this was mama calling, like you said. This is him coming home. And and so it, it was gonna be whatever it was. Just a quick follow-up, Ian. Um, you mentioned that you know there's been that report floating around that you know this this uh deal is being financed by uh revenue from the UM healthcare uh system or program, and you're you're saying that's not really true. I know that you and I had a conversation on Saturday. When we did a really short podcast, you mentioned, and you've mentioned earlier in this show, the large board of trustees. It's an unusually large board for a school of Miami's size. You made the point that the, the board with, with its size, that's a lot of deep pockets there. That's a lot of well-heeled, well-positioned uh, power players in the room. And that the key to, to financing this was not the health system. It's not that angle. It's just that the board of trustees found a way to, to get on the same page. Talk a little bit more about that uh, particular process and how it unfolded. Yeah, there's two main, main like categories here in South Florida. It's healthcare and real estate. A lot of that has to deal with the retiree community, um, which which is like kind of funny. But the UN, uh, U, it's called U-Health. Uh, that system is a, extremely large and extremely profitable for the university. So it it's not... Um, it's not hard to associate any additional funds that the university would make with making such an investment like this with you health, because the, the, the university's health system is like tied to it. Uh, UM health, the U health system is, is very um, prestigious, very profitable uh, and, and one of the best medical schools in the world. Uh, and also a hospital that has a ton of, of networking in, in the local community. Uh, the, the board of trustees thing is like too many cooks. And, and that was where I was cagey about thinking that any of this was going to happen. But once enough people started to get on board, it really like the, the highway started to flow in the, in the traffic pattern of this happening very quickly uh, that, that I have never seen the university do in my entire time living here, going to the school, covering the school. And I've never seen them. I mean, I said earlier today, I, I don't think that the University of Miami has ever made a hire like this. Uh, the, the fact that they would go in such a direction is very atypical. And yeah, so let me let me follow up on that, because you, you I, I saw you saying that. And some people might say, wait a minute, this this school hired Jimmy Johnson. 
Biscoe hired Dennis Erickson. But the point is, they hadn't become super duper star coaches at the time they were hired. Jimmy was an assistant at Oklahoma State. Uh, yep. I mean, Den- Dennis was the coach at Wazoo. Like they, yep. they weren't they weren't big names when when they've done that. Uh, the the biggest one I could say is like Jim Morris, who was the baseball coach at Georgia Tech, and they were very successful. Uh, maybe Mark Richt gets in that conversation, but the University of Miami does not make this hire. They've never made this hire before. Absolutely. So, Don, in terms of, you know, the Oregon process and the Oregon side, you know, John Canzano, people out here in the Pac-12, especially in the state of Oregon, you know, Canzano's based in Portland. Um, you know, he wrote a piece on Sunday about how Mario Cristobal had seemingly lost Phil Knight, you know, that, that, that he had turned off Phil Knight with his behavior the past, you know, 48, 72 hours so did you yourself, Don, arrive at a point over the weekend where you started to think, you know what, instead of trying to keep Crystal Ball front and not let him go to Miami, you know what, this is too far down the road. Let's start fresh. Yeah. Let's hire a new guy. Where was the point? When was the point over the past 48 hours or so when you when you reached that uh, mindset, that that uh, attitude? Last night, right before I went to bed. It was pretty clear that um, Mario was going to go to Miami. So yeah, you just um, unfortunately that's how it happened. You know, he's a good coach and a good guy, and I think he would have won a lot of a lot of conference championships here at Oregon and possibly national championship. I mean, he was he, he recruits off the charts. He's the best recruiter Oregon's ever had, and they have a top ten class coming in. Hopefully they can salvage it somehow. Um, I don't see how they can, but we'll see about that. But I think, yeah, it definitely hit me last night that Oregon is going to have to go in a different direction. That's absolutely incredible to me, Don. I I don't mean to belabor the point, but it's absolutely incredible (laughs) to me that Oregon, like people that, that Oregon did not know up until last night. Well, well, I was, I, was, I, was, I was talking about myself. I mean, I mean, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not a quote unquote insider. I'm sure there's a lot of people inside the program who knew that who knew this was coming. Which, again, I said, if they didn't know this was coming, how was he allowed to keep on recruiting and, and coaching and representing the team in the Alamo Bowl press conference? But yeah, it really, it really does you know, that detail. That detail really does show that Oregon was really trying to hold on to Crystal Ball. Yeah, really until the bitter end. That that that's what that tells me. Definitely, yeah. Uh, but you know, reality definitely hit them this morning when they had that meeting. So, and uh, I guess Rob Mullen's phone is blowing up with interest, which I'm not surprised. Yeah, so let's oh, I think so let's get into that unless there's anything else we want to deal with in terms of the process and any 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 uh thing we want to clear up on that. Okay. So oh, no, I I mean I like I just think that that this from a national standpoint is exactly how Miami would want it to go. Uh, like they they don't mind being this villain. They don't mind being this like awful stealer of an amazing coach. And this is a homecoming for a guy that they've always wanted. And them making that investment is just absolutely incredible. And they, they don't mind 
all of you being upset with them at all. And, and, and Miami enjoyed having 48 hours of news cycle exposure, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, the, the media thing really isn't as big over here because okay. they're going to get it no matter what. But, like, sure. they really like the fact that everybody's yelling about them. I actually think there's one more thing to discuss about this from the Miami side, and that is Dan Radakovich. Uh, you know, we, you, Ian, you and I briefly talked about this on Saturday, but, like, like that seemed to be the thing that caught people off guard. Like, you know, we've been talking about Cristobal, Cristobal, football program investments uh you know any new sense of how dan radakovich became uh so prominent I and mean, we know that he's a um alumnus so you know that's that's obviously something but you know you know he's at clemson he and he's had this near autopilot situation where he just has to let Dabo swinney uh do his thing and, and win national championships i mean it's really a great setup so, you know, like when when Miami put forth the package deal of Radakovich coming in as AD and Cristobal coming in as head coach, I guess that the question, Ian, is like, is there a connection between Radakovich and Cristobal that we've been missing that, you know, Radakovich wanted to be part of the Cristobal return, um, you know, n remembering that, you know, Cristobal was a national championship player at Miami, is there a connection that's gone uh, unreported on or overlooked uh, in, in over the past few days? Not yeah, not necessarily like a connection, but I, I think that, that the theme here is Miami was a sleeping giant that decided to wake up. It was Snorlax, and uh, they, they decided that they were going to get the, the, you know, the coveted son to come coach their team. They decided that they were done with the team that had bullied them in the ACC in multiple regards, not just in football, but also in, in other sports. Uh, and, and Miami decided that they had the money and now they're going to spend it. And this really just changed the game. And I think that, that it, it's scary because they, for, for everybody else in the ACC, because I think that like Miami realized Hey, we've just been like pocketing this money. Like, why don't we just spend it and see what we can do? And mm -hmm. now they're deciding to do it. And the the all of all possibilities are on the table. I, I think in terms of like facilities, all possibilities are on the table. There was talk yesterday about building an on-campus stadium finally that they've never had with like a, some random real estate financer that no one had ever heard of. Like all of this has gone bonkers in the past 48 hours that, that it, it really has not made a lot of sense, but some of it's real, some of it's not. But I think that Miami decided, okay, we have an opportunity to become a player. We have an opportunity to be a real, like be the next Clemson, be the next Bama, be the next Oregon, be the next Georgia be the next Michigan and they're they're making their push right now. All right, we're going to get into Oregon candidates for the next head coach and my and Miami's coordinators and other assistants uh to surround Mario Cristobal, but before that, got to ask one question to each of you. Going to start with Don, then okay. go to Ian. 
if USC had not hired Lincoln Riley, would Mario Cristobal be the coach at Miami uh, or would he be the coach at Oregon today? Don? I think he'd still be at Miami. I don't think the USC situation has anything to do with it. Ian? I think that he absolutely would still be at Oregon. Well, I, I really, why? I, I think that he would want that fight. He, he's a Miami boy. We love, we love the chatter. We love to clap back. We love the fight. I, I think that he would have done it. I, I think that, that Lincoln Riley coming to, Oregon, uh, coming to USC tells him, okay, let me clap in another direction. Because I, I, I look at you, I've always looked at USC and Miami as similar programs. And so him coming to Miami is kind of like his ability to argue coast to coast and and make this like a bigger fight. That that does make any sense to me. So he would leave $85 million on the table to go home to be with Miami, but none of it has anything to do with money. None of it. None of any, I don't, I, like, not, that, that, was, that has been such a, a, an interesting part of the national conversation that I've seen about this. Nothing about what Mario did has anything to do with any dollar sign. Okay, I need to stop you in right there, because you and I did have a conversation that, you know, the price point for Cristobal had to be a certain level. And you did say, and we all acknowledge this, that Miami finally decided, you know, to really pursue this marriage. Uh, you know, the marriage proposal, as it were. So, I mean, there's obviously kind of a, a nuance here in terms of it didn't have, it wasn't centrally about money, but like money wasn't completely irrelevant because Miami had to make at least a somewhat competitive offer. Yeah, I mean, that like, that's completely fair, right? Like he, he needs market value, but as soon as he got that, this is okay. about- Yeah, yeah, all right. So that's the, that's the key. As soon as Miami reached a certain threshold- Oregon offering two million, three million more—that was not going to influence it. Yeah, and like Manny's okay. buyout yes. is being made a big deal over. That's like not relevant. Okay. Like as as soon as as soon as Miami was relevant, Ma- Mario was gone. Yeah, that. So that's the nuance. Okay, got it. We mm-hmm. achieve we achieve that goal. All right. So now let's go into coaching search mode. So Don, I mean, you're you and Zach at Duckswire. You're going to be co- covering that now. Welcome to my world. This is what I've been doing for two and a half months. Now you and Zach get to do it at Duckswire. So coaching candidates you would like to see, coaching candidates you would hate to see. Let's go through it. What 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 are the names on your yes list and your no list up in Eugene? All right. Well, first of all, um, I don't think it's a candidate, but you gotta think about Joe Moorhead leaving before all this happened. I, I think. If he thought that there was a possibility that more uh, that um, Chris Paul was going to leave, he would have stayed. He would have probably been the number one choice for Oregon, but but he but he he left for Akron, which is okay. so. Before you continue, Don, <clears throat> do you think that Moorhead's surgery during the season, you know, that's why he missed the Stanford game? Do you, right. You know, and he's from Pittsburgh, so do you think that's why he went to Akron to be near his family, or do you think? Uh, that if that he still Maybe. would have been interested in the Oregon head coaching job had he had he waited for this to play out a little bit longer. That that could have been a possibility of him wanting to wanting 
and to go home you know, after what happened to him, which we still don't know exactly what happened to him, but you know, he wanted to go home. But you would think, I mean, I would think that if he thought that, that the Oregon shop was going to be out there, he would have, he would have stayed, but who knows? All right. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, good. We, we addressed that little nuance of this. So right. now so, your yes candidates and your no candidates. My first, my first yes candidate is Justin Wilcox. Um, last two coaches have burned Oregon about wanting to go home. Well, it's maybe it's time for Oregon to, to bring home someone. And Justin Wilcox is from Junction City, right down the road to, uh, of Eugene, and former Oregon player. Uh, I think with Oregon's backing, money, facilities, I think Wilcox would be one heck of a coach. Um, and then besides Wilcox, yeah, it's, I mean, Mullins has two options. Either bring bring home Wilcox or, or make a splash higher. So, and who's, uh, your, heard, who's your splash higher? Well, Lincoln Riley isn't out there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I, I, I've heard uh, David Randa of Baylor. That's a he'd splash, be a good choice. no doubt. Yeah, he, he'd be good higher. Um, Matt Campbell. Matt USC, Campbell. He was in the USC Luke, conversation. Matt Campbell, Luke Fickle of Cincinnati. Um, you know, after the last two coaches uh, and me being stunned about what happened, I have to learn to expect the unexpected. So, you know, you know, so. All right, let's go down the yeah. path with Justin Wilcox. If Oregon okay. hires Wilcox, obviously the first follow-up question is, who's his offensive coordinator? So, Don. Who should I, if if Oregon hires Wilcox, you know you have to have a home run hire as yeah. offensive coordinator. What would your what would your short list be? Uh, Joe Brady. He'd okay, be, you know he'd be yeah. good offense well, coach. Yeah. He'd also be good head coach. So let's let's go through yeah. that. Do you think it? Do you think it's a it's a really big uh, difference? You know, handing the keys to Joe Brady in full. Uh, at his young age, you know, this would be kind of like a Sean McVay thing only at the collegiate level. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's a significant difference for Rob Mullins to consider whether you hire a defensive coach, defensive head coach with Brady as offensive coordinator in a package deal, or you just go, you give Brady the keys to the kingdom right off the bat. How, how significant a difference do you think that is? I don't, I don't think offense or an offensive coach or defensive coach uh, matters. Um, you just need to get the right guy. I mean, you also need to get a guy that's going to stay for more than four years. Oregon can't keep going through this every, every four-year cycle, especially after the history you talked about of, of Rich Brooks staying for 25 years and all that. So – um, it'd be it'd be nice to get a defensive guy in here. They've proven that they can recruit defensive players, and they've had a really good defense the last few years. Um, but again, the offense has kind of been stale and boring. So maybe they need to get another innovator in here, uh, like they did with Chip Kelly. No, I'm not I saying mean, they should hire. I mean, I'm not saying yes. they should hire Chip Kelly. <laughs> yes, that's, and, that's and this happen, is something. But. This is something that um, you know you and, and the team at Duxwire have written about recently. You know, why did Ty Thompson never get a meaningful chance to mm -hmm. 
to prove himself as the backup to Anthony Brown at quarterback. I mean, if Crystal Ball was never willing to give Ty Thompson a chance uh, at, at with meaningful reps during the yeah. season, well, yeah. that either means that Thompson wasn't ready, which means that the Oregon staff didn't do a good job of developing him, or right. it just means that Crystal Ball was stubborn as heck uh, and just had a <laughs> had a one track mindset. So it raises the question you know, that Oregon needs to find a much better answer at quarterback in 2022 and under the next head coach, whoever that is. So the, the specific question I have for you, Don, is should, should Oregon make a hire in such a way that either at the head coaching spot or the offensive coordinator spot, either one, uh, that it can attract an elite transfer quarterback and an, a, a name obviously at the top of many people's lists, Spencer Rattler. And he's yeah. been linked to Oregon in the offseason scuttlebutt transfer portal chatter. UCLA has right. been linked uh, to Spencer Rattler as a possible candidate. You know, he's from Arizona, so he's a Pac-12 native. You know, he grew up in the footprint. So should Oregon be thinking about the transfer portal and its quarterback situation in relationship to who it hires its head coach? Or should you just be thinking about, let's just get a good guy who's going to be here for a long time and be less focused about 2022 roster and recruiting class. I say let's get let's get the right guy who's going to stay here. And Oregon's been kind of burned with the transfer portal with with uh, with the quarterback position. It hasn't quite worked out the way they thought they would. So I mean, Spencer Rattler would be the biggest name that would that's ever come to Oregon through the transfer portal, but you know they've been burned in the past. So I mean, Ty Thompson is the highest. Recruited quarterback to ever commit to Oregon. He's a five-star kid. He's six-four. Has a gun for an arm. We don't know why he was never given the chance to to play meaningful downs. I was shocked he didn't play in the second half of the second Utah game. That game was over, and they should have at least give the kid some experience. It's not like they're going to risk his redshirt year because. He hasn't played that much. So you know, get the right guy in, convince Thompson to stay, and you know, and go with him. That's All what right. I would do. Let's now shift this back to the Miami side of things. And Ian, you know, Miami has a, an exciting prospect in Tyler Van Dyke. Now the, the season began with Derek King, um, you know, but he got hurt. Uh, and, and, you know, this opened the door for Tyler Van Dyke and he certainly made a splash. Uh, you know, he became a very respected top tier quarterback in the ACC. So, um, you know, what, what's the challenge facing Mario Cristobal in terms of keeping him in the program? Do you think this is an easy sell? Do you think that Cristobal has to hire the right offensive coordinator to kind of lock this thing down? What do you think the state of play is? in terms of Miami's quarterback and its roster situation? Yeah, I think it's really simple with Tyler. If man, if Mario comes in, sorry, I, now you have to like rethink <laughs> about these things. But if Mario comes in and says he's the starting quarterback, he's staying. If he comes in and says, hey, I'm going to recruit somebody, then he probably enters the transfer portal. I, I think it's as simple as that. And so the natural follow-up, Ian, is, you know, he Van Dyke was behind Derek King, so he wasn't the number one going into this season. You know, should Mario Cristobal, with plenty of 
uh, interesting possibilities, such as Spencer Rattler on the board? Do you think it's in his and Miami's best interests to make a full-on play for Van Dyke and ride with that, or should Miami be considering other options? If I w- if I was Miami, like I think that Tyler played fine. I, I have no problem with with w- what he did. Um, I-, I don't know if that's the decision that they'll make, uh, but I think that his play was entirely sufficient and was a caliber that could have had it happened sooner and the development would have happened earlier, led them to com- at least compete with Pitt for the ACC title. I mean, let's not forget this team beat the ACC championship team. This team was like a clunked field goal and a fourth and 17 away from being in that game. So I I don't think that it's so far away to, to, to think that he can't lead this team to be able to do that. All right. Who do you think Mar- uh, Mario Cristobal should go after as offensive and defensive coordinators? Yeah, I, I think that there's like two camps, right? It's the do you want to come home camp? If you want to come home camp, it's like offensively you turn towards like Chud, Rob Chudzinski. Like there, there's probably the first place you would turn. If you go defensively, it's probably like Jim Levitt, like guys like that. If you If you're going outside of that, I mean, we've talked a lot about Tony Elliott. Um, it, it, I, I think that that's sort of like a, a kind of quieted to a, a certain extent. Um, I, I think that there are certain candidates that that you could look at defensively. Charlie Strong is always interesting. That's an intriguing um, name. Mm. Yeah, the, like there, there are guys. If FAU wants to hold on to, um, uh, to Willie Taggart, I, I think that that would be interesting. Um, Kevin Steele's always out there. Um, I mean, even like Dan Mullen, right? Like everybody stays in state now. Oh yeah, so I, I, As I offensive I coordinator. That's that's a legitimate possibility. I, I don't see. I, I'm I'm kind of like throwing stuff at the wall right now, but me, I, I don't let, see okay, anything. Let me interrupt that and, and, and ask you a question, which, you know, won't, won't uh, put you in jeopardy like that. Um, do you think Dan Radakovich has the pull to convince Tony Elliott to make that move from Clemson to Miami? Do you think that the Radakovich factor could uh, be able to peel away someone from Dabo's staff and, and convince him to go to Miami? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't even I don't even know if like Clemson wants to retain him right now. So uh, the fact that that's even an option, it just pulls it all on the board. I mean, he didn't have a great season. Let's just be honest about it. Um, he, he had the he had the bad season at the worst possible time for him. So I think that he's entirely on board with the possibility of of resetting this and and trying to get everything on track let's not forget this is a an offense that's being left by Rhett Lashley that completely like reinvented what Miami offense looks like Miami is not known for being an offensive team Miami is known for being a punch you in the mouth and laugh at you while while you fall to the ground team like so the fact that they've completely changed 
their style of play on offense, right? This is the turnover chain team. This is not the offensive juggernaut team. So the fact that they've completely changed this is really funny to me. Um, so yeah, Tony Elliott makes total sense. Yeah. Let's follow up. I was going to ask about Rhett Lashley. So you kind of stole a little bit of my thunder, but there's still obviously a relevant follow-up here. And that is that, you know, much like USC, you know, Don knows this watching the PAC 12 USC used the air raid and fans didn't like the air raid because USC doesn't do gimmick offenses. You know, USC's <laughs> student body, right. In many ways, kind of like a West coast, Miami that the Trojans, you know, this was very much true under Pete Carroll. You know, they leaned on their defense and knocking the snot out of you. So in that sense, the comparison with Miami is a, a, a very uh, clear one. It fits. Um, so, but, you know, other people will say, you know, in modern offense, modern football, you know, like look at what Alabama did last year, 48.5 points per game, you know, embracing modern spread passing concepts with uh, Steve Sarkeesian as offensive coordinator. Many people will say, you know, in modern football to win, you need an offense that's going to score 35 a game. And the goal for your defense is just, you know, just hold them under 30. You'll be able to win. That's kind of the modernized approach. And Nick Saban has used that. So, you know, with Miami going to the, the Rhett Lashley offense, you know, do you think that that fundamental shift uh, was affirmed? Because Miami never got the results out of it, but it was really more because the defense wasn't there. That Manny Diaz, you know, he gave up 62 to North Carolina last year, 59 to, uh, I don't know, I'm getting mixed up, but he gave up a pile of points to North Carolina. Yeah. Well, that, that's what year. saw him out the door. So how do we view Miami's offense and the system or style that the U needs? Yeah, I, I mean, like Miami wants to make fun of you. I don't think that they really care how they're going to do it. It, it, it. It's like the easiest way to say it. They just so want to make fun think, of you. Yeah, so do you think that the Rhett Lashley offense fundamentally succeeded and we assign the blame uh, for the failure of the Diaz era to the defensive side of the ball? Or do you think that doing that kind of offense kind of flowed into kind of like USC – having a soft program, you know, Clay Heldon's program was tissue soft. And many people will say with good reason that the offensive style was so finesse that you don't have a culture of toughness. Where do you come down on that fundamental question with the lack yeah. of the offense? I don't know if it necessarily is like a toughness thing. It, it's more of like a, a, like I said, like a cockiness thing, like, like a sweat. I mean, we, t this, this term has been, tired for a while but it's a swag thing like you want to like feel yourself you want to like make make the rest of the world hate you and be like hey i'm gonna beat you and you know it when i walk on the field and there's nothing that you can do about it um so like rhett lashley to a certain extent was thought of as this genius that didn't really live up to the all of the expectations but he did a really good job he just wasn't the savior that you thought he was manny was this defensive genius that was going to be the savior and remember he was not just the head coach he was also the defensive coordinator on this team that didn't live up to that expectation so you have this sort of situation of okay like wait a minute, we're not living up to, to this dominance that we want to assert. Like we, wa we want everybody to be angry at us. We want to make you feel it. Like that is, that is the Miami way. 
That is the Miami way in football. That is the Miami way when you drive on I-95. That is the Miami way when you're walking down the street. Like that, that that's just it. Like, let's be jerks. We're okay with it. <laughs> and th- there was sort of that, like, it, it, it started when Manny created the turnover chain that sort of started to come back, but it started to get like a little bit comical. And when other people started mocking it, you know, like I have a, I have a phrase that anybody that, that uh, duplicates the smoke doesn't deserve my respect because the smoke is a Miami thing. Like we have the smoke and, and that's both figurative and literal. So that smoke is what you want. Um, there, there's a famous story about the mascot of the team, like literally shooting off a fire extinguisher in a national championship game and they weren't allowed to do it. Um, and, and so like Miami just wants to be hated. They have no problem with it. And so anything that Mario does moving forward is go should probably be seen in that regard. And that's like totally fine. That's not disrespectful to anybody. That's not like, I'm not saying anything. I, I'm saying the quiet part out loud. I'm not saying anything that anybody doesn't already know. Like that, that's what they want. And so that's totally cool and totally fine. All right. Well, let's wind down our show with you know, a focus back to Oregon, since it is USC's rival that we're talking about. And so, Don, as, as we close the show, obviously people are people are going to say, you know, you can't go back to Chip Kelly, right? You know that you you can't have a second go around. The second marriages right. usually don't work out really well. Uh, speak to that, and specifically speak to the notion that. You know, when Chip Kelly was at Oregon for those four glorious years, 2009 through 2012, you know, he just seemed to be a step ahead of everybody in college football. And at UCLA, that hasn't been the case. So it obviously invites the question, Don, has Chip Kelly lost a step or is it just that he's at UCLA and not at Eugene? How would you assess the notion of Oregon having a second romance with Chip Kelly? I think there's a lot of factors that play into that. I mean, being at UCLA is not being at Oregon. The facilities are not as good. Uh, you can't recruit the same the same type of athlete. Um, and also, uh, I also think teams have caught up to Chip Kelly's offense and they figured out how to how to scheme it defensively. So it hasn't worked quite as well. So I, I think if he comes to Oregon, he might do a little better, but it's not going to be you know, back to the glory years. But if, I, if you but, think but, if he does, uh, if he does come back, what do you think he would might do differently? Uh, because his his offenses at Oregon, I mean, he really prized tempo, and he has not focused on tempo nearly as much at UCLA. He actually had a big hulking offensive line the past right. two years at UCLA. He's really gone more in a smash mouth. Uh, direction than he did at Oregon. Oregon, he wanted to play very fast. Uh, so right. what do you think? I mean, and, and we're not saying that he's likely to be the next head coach at Oregon. I, I would I would highly doubt that. I think you highly doubt that as well. But just let's play around with this. What do you think he would do differently if he got the job at Eugene again? Wow, what would he do differently? Um, you know, 
I think you'd go back to what worked best, get get the very best athletes that you possibly can, insert them into his system and go with it. I mean, he's he I think he he bulked up on the line at UCLA because he saw that having having a smaller offensive and defensive line, but quick, doesn't work when you play the big boys in the SEC once you get to the championship game. It just doesn't work. So I think he learned that. Um um, could he do that in Oregon? Sort of mix, mix the two together. I don't know, but I mean, I just, I just don't see Oregon going that way. When you guys are talking about possible Miami coaches and all that, I had a, uh, it might, it might be the coffee kicking in. I don't know, but Dabo Sweeney has lost his athletic director. He lost his defensive coordinator, and he might lose his offensive coordinator. And and you have Dan Radakovich there. Would Oregon make a huge splash and and go after? Dan I think that, I think that's Sweeney? fair. I think that's fair, Don. Yeah, I don't. I, I, I mean, like it's it's that's out of left field, but I don't think that that's not it, fair. Yeah, it would be it would be no different from USC getting Lincoln Riley, right? Exactly. Yeah, right. And no one no. was expecting that. No one yeah. was expecting Brian Kelly to LSU. So exactly. why not? Why not? Why not? You know, and Phil Knight is eighty three years old. He wants Oregon to win a national championship in his lifetime, obviously. Bill Knight's 83 years old, and he's yeah. angry right now. <laughs> exactly. He's an angry old man. I wouldn't mess with him. <laughs> you know, who knows? I mean, that could be a direction Oregon goes. Why not? It really That really is the perfect way to end this podcast because <laughs> things which sound absurd on their face have actually become reality. One yep. by one by one. And that's been part of our show processing a season in which you know, we began with Miami's never going to make the commitment for someone like Mario Cristobal. Right. And yet here we are at the end of the season. And that's exactly what happened. We, so, we started this whole series, Matt, by saying yep. there is no way Miami's going yep. to hire Mario Cristobal. And it yep. ended with him being it. Yep, exactly. Uh, so that's the perfect way to end our show. So for Miami expert and my producer, Ian Hest, and for Ducks Wires, Don Smalley. You can follow him on Twitter, Donald underscore Smalley. Hey, you want to follow Ducks Wires coaching search coverage? That is your go-to source for the Oregon head coaching search, Ducks Wire. For Ian Hest and Don Smalley, this is Matt Zemek thanking you for listening to another coaching carousel edition of Trojans Wired. Who knows what's going to happen this next week? You'll want to stay tuned. <laughs>